I'm Yolanda Brown and welcome to LPO Offstage, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes with the musicians of the London Philharmonic Orchestra. In today's episode, we're looking at what happens when you add voices, exploring the musical world of the LPC, that's the London Philharmonic Choir. We're joined today by Neville Creed, the LPC's Artistic Director and Chorus Master, Caroline Morris, a member of the LPC, and Paul Richards, the LPO's bass clarinet player. Neville, Caroline and Paul, welcome. Thank you. Hi. Thank you. Hello. Good to see you. Hello. Brilliant to have you here. Now, Neville, can you tell us a bit more about what the London Philharmonic Choir is and its relationship with the LPO? The London Philharmonic Choir has been the partner choir with the London Philharmonic Orchestra since the inception of the organisation in 1947. We are a big amateur chorus, auditioned, and we sing on average between six and ten concerts with the LPO each year. We're a choir of 200, 250 singers, and each of the, the singers sign up for each concert. The numbers required for a concert are very specific. So I will have a conversation with the conductor and uh, the conductor will say, we need maybe 150 for this program or 120 or 80 or whatever it is. And then we will have to produce that number in order for the music to balance. So again, the orchestra will be adjusted to suit the needs of the repertoire. So the string numbers usually will be altered, reduced if it's um, earlier work, classical period or Baroque indeed. But if it's a Mahler symphony, those string numbers will be huge. The woodwind might be uh, doubled and um, we'll certainly need Paul in there with bass clarinet to to (laughs) do things like that. So uh, the size of the choir is a crucial element in this. That's really set the scene fantastically. Thank you, Neville. And wow, just to be able to hear maximum 250 voices together, I can only imagine. And I guess, Paul, what, what is that experience like? We, we've got to know and love the musicians in the, in the LPO. We're in episode 22 now. So we know you very well. We've experienced the different elements, but we haven't spoken about voice. So what is it like having sort of rehearsed a piece of repertoire and then all these voices come on? What is the feeling, first of all? Well, the thing is, I always feel, even when we do repertoire we've done many times, like Beethoven 9 and Mahler 2, it always feels like an event when the choir come in. There's a real sense of anticipation. There's a real bond, I think, between the choir and the orchestra, and we sort of will them on, and I like to think they will (laughs) will us on as well. And, yeah, it's great. It's always a pleasure. and, And actually, as a bass clarinet player, I'm not always involved in all the choral pieces. So, for example, like you know, the Haydn creation. Mm. It's just two clarinets. But occasionally the choir do pieces which are unaccompanied. A few years ago, they did the Thomas Tallis Speminalian motet. Yes. Wonderful, you know. And that was followed by Mahler's Eighth Symphony. Yeah, crazy program. <laughs> it was an amazing program, yes. <laughs> two, two monumental works, really. I mean, I know the Tallis is only, what, 10 minutes, but it's magnificent, really. I'm not sure the Festival Hall really does it justice, to be honest. I think it would be lovely to play, you know, in a cathedral, really. But... Um, Oh, it's wonderful to hear the choir, you know, on their own, you know. And then on the flip side then, Caroline, what's it like for you in the choir who you've been rehearsing um, with Neville, you've been rehearsing probably with a piano, I'm guessing, and then you get into this amazing sort of setup with the full orchestra. What's the excitement and the feeling on your side? 
Oh, there's definitely excitement. And it's nice <laughs> It's nice to hear Paul say that, that they feel like that oh. about us as well, because I think the first rehearsal, the first Tutti rehearsal with the orchestra is always a little, a little bit exciting. What's yeah. it going to sound like? You've got a, sometimes mm. a new conductor or someone you've not worked with, obviously on that piece before. So you have a Tutti rehearsal with the conductor. So you get to meet them and, and practice before you have that tutti with the orchestra. Mm. But then there's all the things that you need to remember. You have to make sure Neville's always watching. And so we always keep half <laughs> an eye. Half an, <laughs> we always We've always got half an eye on Neville in those rehearsals, um, looking at his facial expressions to make sure we're doing well. But it's that anticipation when you're coming into the rehearsal room, the orchestra all set up, ready to go. Mm. And, you know, that first moment when you all play together is really fabulous. It's lovely to hear that it's a group effort. You know, so I guess because you both have London Philharmonic before your names, you know that you're part of the family ultimately. Um, but I guess, you know, that, that feeling sometimes you get where it's like, this is our gang and this is their gang. and we get, Are we going to get on? Is this going to be all right? No, it's nice we, to know it's a family thing. We feel thing. welcome. We oh, feel I'm really glad. welcome by, by, the, by the orchestra. Yeah, there's a lovely um, chemistry between the choir and the orchestra. And it's always great in rehearsals to see the way that uh, people are chatting, saying, hi, I haven't seen you for a while, oh. this is a great piece or whatever. Um, it's, a, it's a lovely atmosphere. So um, Actually, occasionally, sorry, no, I was going to say on. occasionally. It's, it's not. Habit- <laughs> <laughs> it's not. No, but, you know, it's, I always think it's a shame that occasionally the, the choir can't come on tour with us, but in fact yeah. it has happened a couple of times, actually. I think we had a few day trips to Paris. And Absolutely. Am I right? mm. Neville, did the choir come to Vienna to do the Britain War Requiem? Um, they didn't. They, do- they didn't. But mm. I did. Uh, I had the, right. I had yes, the privilege okay. of uh, conducting the chamber orchestra in the War Requiem, which was just amazing. And we did it yeah. in Moscow, Vienna, uh, as oh, well as right. London. But it was only the London performance that had the um, the London Philharmonic Choir. Yes. So in well, we did, um, we did Beethoven Nine in Paris, though. I seem to remember I was on that. And we've done a, numerous uh, concerts over the years. Um, yes. Mostly around uh, European cities um, and visiting sure. uh, the, the Teatro de Champs Elysees uh, in mm. Paris, where you've done a number of concerts. Of course, we did the Thrupani Opera there, the Kurt Val. So uh, numerous things around Europe, but it's a massive expense, obviously, to Absolutely. ship a massive choir over. So I think in in Vienna we had the uh, the, the chorus of uh, the Music Verein there. So it was very sad we couldn't take the choir on that occasion. But there have been some tremendous uh, trips. You know, it's a, obviously a hugely bonding experience when that does happen. Because in London, of course, you, you know, you come in for the rehearsals, you go home again. Whereas on tour, well, the after what, what should party. we do after the <laughs> <laughs> what, what happens on tour stays, stays on, on tour. tour absolutely. <laughs> mm, yeah. So there have been some great moments. Oh, Actually, I, I was thinking, Paul, about that. Uh, you mentioned the... Uh, the Talis 40-part motet, followed yeah. by Mahler 8. And the tenure of uh, Vladimir Yurovsky has been so exciting because mm. he has the most uh, fantastic ideas about repertoire. And I remember when he first said to me, look, look, I've got this idea. Why, why don't we uh, have the, you know, the Talis 40-part motet leading into Mahler 8 without a break? Mm. Yes, so I, I, I was yeah. just sort of we all remember that shocked. I said, <laughs> uh, no, 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 just, just, just hang on, hang on, hang on. <laughs> that particular one was very, very memorable. Mm. We were all spread out around the auditorium, and we had to walk back whilst singing, <gasps> carrying on singing in forty parts, Bermanalium, to end up back. I think we finished singing, then we had to move and. It's, there's not much space there. There's not Where much space at, at all. The, were you at the at festival a, hall? At the festival hall. Oh, wow. So we had to somehow 
get back into where we were in different places. It was absolutely, I can't believe we managed it. It was really a group effort of Aww. making sure everybody else was in the right place. And it was a small miracle that actually we ended up back in the right place to start that piece. Yeah, I was it quite was nervous. quite nerve wracking. Yes, I mean, we probably didn't look at Neville's face. Yeah, just don't look at Neville there. at that moment. Yeah. yeah, there was a certain element of risk, but you know, with yeah. risk you know, comes success and, and wonderful yes. things. So you've got to risk something. And I think that was quite risky, but it was magnificent. It sounds spectacular. You you rehearsed then, Caroline, with Neville, going through through the repertoire, familiarising yourself. How much does it change then when you're in front of a, a different conductor? You know, you don't have all those nuances that you've built up through rehearsals. Well, obviously, we know Neville's style very well. We've worked with Neville's worked with the choir for for many years, mm. and we have a great relationship with Neville as our conductor. So he does this amazing job of preparing us to work with lots of different styles of conductor that, yes. that do the main concert. So it will often be that we'll work with him. And then as we get towards the last few rehearsals, he'll start to talk to us about what we might or might not get in yes. terms of style, in terms of bringing us in and in, in certain places so that we can be prepared for that. So it's a really, a really nice way of working to get us ready. But obviously when you see someone for the first time who you've not worked with before, there's, okay, what what are we going to get today? What are we going to get from yes. this conductor? And so you've got to be really, really well prepared to be able to respond to their different styles of working. And some conductors give the choir a lot and some conductors give the choir next to nothing. Yeah. And when you don't know and you haven't particularly worked with that conductor before, the first few minutes are, right, okay, this is, this is what this is going to be like. And so when you're with a conductor that's not going to give the choir very much, you kind of feel it in the choir. Yeah, You're all standing really close together. No one's talking to each other, but you can feel everybody go, right, okay, strap in. We're going to have to really, like, and, and all of a sudden, everybody's listening to each other so Using hard. Using sense, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's that collective feeling that you get with a choir mm. and singing in such a big choir, even in a small choir, that feeling of togetherness and working together. And then on top of that, when you've got an orchestra as well in yeah. the room, and it's the feeling of that is just so fantastic. And I think we've all been missing it a lot. How do you prepare, Neville? Do you get to go to the orchestra rehearsals as well and sort of just keep an eye on the conductor, see what's happening? Or is there also a handover that you have to the conductor to say, Look, as we've been preparing, this is what they do and might need to just make sure you check in on bar 72? You know, do you get that? There are various phases, I suppose, with any project. And there are numerous projects, I hope, coming up next year, for which I've already had uh, discussions with conductors, I mean, Gardner, Mark Elder and so on, long phone calls to go through the music and you know, discuss it, how are we going to work it. So that's the very first phase and it will come months and months before a project. And then we'll get into the, uh, the choral rehearsals and I have to plan how many choral rehearsals we'll need. So if it's very familiar repertoire, then not so many. If it's unfamiliar and, and 
avant-garde, say, atonal yes. even. I remember Stravinsky's Threeny, which is very atonal, if atonality can be very. What would be, what would be the average rehearsal time? For? Average rehearsal, I should think eight. Eight rehearsals ah. for, uh, it's a sort of standard. Threeny actually is a very short piece. So, so uh, eight rehearsals for that would be very extensive. But uh, yeah, it could be as many as 20. Wow. Or it could be as few as two. It depends entirely on the, on the familiarity and the difficulty of the piece. Mm. So we would then go into choral rehearsals and my first job is to introduce the work and uh, the background of the work to the choir. Then we move into learning the notes and the text. So we often get a, a language coach in. And then I move into the phase of responding to the composer's demands and indeed those demands of the conductor that were already discussed. So that gets superimposed. And then it's the sort of flexibility and responsiveness phase where I try not to do the same thing every time. Because yes. I don't want the choir to get used to one speed, one interpretation. So I try and, you know, mix Keep it up a bit. Toes, yeah. uh, absolutely. So oh, he I'll does. Make sure, that, <laughs> make sure they're watching. Yeah. And then obviously the final phase, that'll be when the orchestra comes in. They usually will have, I don't know, maybe seen the work for one rehearsal, or Paul may be able to put us right on this, beforehand. Yeah. Or if, again, if it's familiar work, they'll be just going straight into it into that final phase of the final rehearsals with extra adjustments yeah. and working with the conductor. And there I have a crucial role of liaising between the choir and the conductor and thinking about balance. So if we're in the festival hall, the conductor's position actually is, is not ideal. You know, the conductor is, is right in front of the orchestra, so I suppose it's similar to the front row of the stalls, but 99% of the audience... Uh, are way back there. So I have to listen for balance. And indeed, there may be some orchestral things that I can assist with out in the audience where, um, you know, obviously most people will be hearing it. Taking us through those phases as well, really so interesting and so intricate, but yet making sure that when you get together as the full orchestra and choir, it's the most productive time ahead, which is, is fantastic. Paul, what is it like for the orchestra? You've, you know the repertoire. Does your playing change when you know that the choir are there? I would say on an individual level, probably not really. I think, yes, when we're playing Tutti, yes, of course, because obviously balance is absolutely crucial. However, I have to say the London Philharmonic Choir can give as good as they get, basically. So, um, Oh, yes. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. <laughs> no worries. No worries. I don't think uh, we overwhelm them. I think the vice versa, vice actually. Vice versa. <laughs> but, yeah, of course, there are some details of balance. But I think, yes, the, the choir are so well trained that there's, I always feel there's, there's not that much to do. My, mm. my only sort of comment is, and I suppose it depends on different conductors, and I suppose I think of conductors who have worked in opera companies like Mark Elder. I always felt they focus more maybe on the diction, or, um, on the text, mm. you know. But I think, you know, someone like Mark, I think he's a great galvanise. He really brings the, the whole thing together, actually. You know, you can tell his, although I say it myself, I think his forte is music that includes choirs or choruses. Caroline, where does the LPC rehearse? We rehearse at Hind Street Methodist Church mm. at the moment. 
but then there'll be rehearsals in different places according to how many people you might need for a concert um, to get more people in. And so we do rehearse in other places or if it's not available, then we might have to go somewhere else. But that's been our main place. And so it does make it quite accessible for people who are working in the city to, to come after work to rehearse, which is great. Rehearsal spaces in London it's a massive problem. You know, there are a number of uh, big choirs, indeed probably hundreds of chamber choirs, all wanting to rehearse in place, let alone the orchestras. And uh, there's a huge shortage of good spaces. We used to rehearse in Bishopsgate by Liverpool Street Station and uh, we had to move out when the roof fell in. So uh, we're always on the lookout for good rehearsal spaces. What are some of the adjustments that the choir has to make then, sort of, having rehearsed in a Methodist hall or maybe a cramped space, trying to get as many people in, to them being in an auditorium, but also with the orchestra, what are some of the adjustments that you have to make individually? Well, obviously the acoustic is very different wherever you perform. That's part of the fun in some ways, (laughs) how you have to adjust according to what the acoustic is like. I mean, practical things like that, you know, you've got to get there on time if it's somewhere that's going to take you forever to get to your seat and sort yourself out and get a coffee. And so the logistical things about being in a different place and, you know, having time to have a chat to your alto colleagues before you go in and (laughs) figure out where you're going to sit and, and all of those things in a different place. It's part of the fun. Lovely. When the orchestra gets in front of the conductor and Neville, you've really sort of highlighted that transition for us. Are there times when the conductor focuses more on the orchestra or more on the on the voices? And what sort of experiences have you had, maybe Paul, to start with, where you've got in and the conductor has just ignored the orchestra? It's like, oh, they'll play. Let me focus on the voices. Is that hard for you? How does that feel? One of our previous principal conductors, yes, he, he, we used to do Beethoven 9 rather a lot with him. And <laughs> occasionally he would just go off, off on a tangent if something went slightly awry and you just completely forget about everybody else and focus <laughs> on this poor person, you know, whether it be a singer. In fact, we did a performance in, gosh, 20 years ago in, I think it was something like Tokyo or something. It was a Japanese tour. And he was so unimpressed with the tenor during the show, he actually started singing the tenor's part. Oh, goodness. And we're going, oh, for goodness sake, please. (laughs) That couldn't have been us. No, definitely no. Definitely no, 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 no. (laughs) Just checking. (laughs) Yeah, Neville would have been on that. (laughs) I think it was Paul was talking about the tenor soloist. Oh, the tenor soloist. Yes, Ah, that's right. Yes. Oh, yes. He got a real bee in his bonnet about the way he was enunciating the text. And um, oh my goodness me. Yes, but I mean, he was he was a fantastic conductor, but. Yes, he'd get a bee in his bonnet about something and he wouldn't let it go. Yes. Yeah, that's Uh, it. And Caroline, can you tell when a conductor probably has a vocal background or is a singer themselves? Is that better to work with somebody that has that knowledge or is it harder? Oh, no, it's better. It's really, really, it's great when when someone really understands what the singers are doing. It's a different kind of connection that you have with a conductor who Mm. understands and and is giving you their attention. And you can tell just from their facial expressions, their very small gestures, that they are paying you attention and there's a different kind of connection. And allowing you to breathe. I think, uh, Mm. I'm sure it's the same with brass players Mm. and wind players, that uh, you need to breathe, you you know, and and music needs shaping accordingly. Uh, Yes, there are many conductors who are very fine pianists, but not playing 
a wind instrument, they don't breathe. And what's more, they don't allow you to breathe mm. sometimes, you know. And I think all people, well, it doesn't sound ridiculous, all people need to breathe when thinking musically, I think, to help shape a phrase. And yes, one conductor in particular, when he used to give you a beat, there was no sort of upbeat and it was quite a spiky gesture. And I thought, oh, where do I you know, breathe? And you start, yeah, you tell you breathe. So what is it? It just results in you just sort of not attack, approaching the note properly. You don't tack it properly. So you end up playing with an accent instead of a tenuto or, mm. or whatever. And it's, you do notice that certainly people who have a, either a vocal background or say a wind background. Mm. And I'm interested in the sort of audition process and also the people behind the music in the LPC, because as you say, it is a choir that, well, especially with the LPO, you've said there, Neville, they perform six to 10 concerts a year. What are the members doing outside of their jobs? What sort of people do you have in the choir? Well, we have all sorts of people, some like Caroline. (laughs) What what Um, do you do outside of the choir, Caroline? Um, I'm a music teacher. I'm head of Brent Music Service. And there are there's a good group of music teachers who sing in the choir as well, um, a fair number of us. And um, lots of other people work in the city. A real variety of people that sing in the choir, some students, mm. some older students. But yeah, it's a really lovely mix of people. And we keep the standards up, as I've uh, said, with auditions. Yes. And crucially, the LPO programmes such interesting repertoire, such adventurous repertoire, as well as the big standards, that it attracts good singers to come and sing with us. I'm sure they, you know, if it was just me doing, uh, you know, the usual stuff, they certainly wouldn't want to pitch up twice oh, a week. Oh, I don't know, Neville. Week. I think they'd come for you. <laughs> I, think they, I think they'd come for you. I'm thinking of auditioning just to be around Neville, for sure. <laughs> you know, we've, we've all got a lot of fondness for Neville. Oh. And uh, so so definitely, we, we that is part of it. Right, um, so the, your audition is uh, is postponed. That's fine. Excellent. <laughs> Brilliant. So the re-audition <laughs> process, the, uh, you know, you... I don't, I yes, I would love to probably, know. Probably shouldn't tell Neville this, but people who've been in the semi-chorus, you know, really good singers, they quake in their boots when it's wow. time for yeah, Even though for, it's so uh, friendly, it's, it's extraordinary. Mm. Well, let's delve into that process. What is the audition <laughs> process, first of all, for a new person wanting to join the LPC? Caroline, can you remember your audition? What, what did you have to do? I can remember my audition. I think lots of people come to have a trial rehearsal to see if they like it, first of all, and, uh-huh. and, and see how they get on. And then they'll have probably, how long does it take Neville? I think he's probably got it down to something like seven minutes or something. Yeah, it to- does rather depend. I mean, you know, if um, somebody is a, a, obviously a, a fine singer and suitable for the choir, then it won't take very long. There are some people you think, well, you know, it'd be lovely... They're nearly there. I could give them a chance, you know, and that'd be great. So that takes a little longer to dig in to just check that they've got the potential to be fine members and of the this choir. And this is in a one-to-one situation or in front of the choir? Yeah. What no, it's one-to-one. Okay. Yeah, no, in front of the choir yeah. would be... Uh, no, goodness, that <laughs> would be even more horrendous. I can't imagine what that is. But, I th- you know, I remember my audition back in 2004, I think my first audition was, and at Bishopsgate, and I remember being pretty nervous. Uh-huh. Um, I had been to the rehearsal, um, but, you know, being there with Neville, and he does try to make it friendly, but... Still you've got, got to one sing shot. in front of him. Yeah. You've still got to sing in front of him. And, you know, even though I'd been a, you know, I've been a musician my whole life. I've sung in choirs my whole life. My father's a choral conductor. I had no real reason to be afraid. But yes. I think it's because I really wanted to be in the choir. And I think that is what a lot of it comes from. Mm. People really enjoy it. We know that it, we, we know 
we like to think we're good <laughs> and we do Absolutely. attract good singers and we're very proud of, of being part of the choir and having to do your re-audition or your audition. There's a lot riding on it, yes. especially if you're in the semi-chorus, you want to keep your place in the semi-chorus. You know, you want to get a good score. So, What is a semi-chorus? You know, a lot of choral works will have music for the full choir. And then a composer might want a particular effect, a quieter effect, maybe an ethereal moment for a smaller group of singers. So we have to you know, have what's called a semi-chorus, a small right. chorus that can perform those bits. And that would um, be your best singers or the singers suited for that yeah, style. Yeah, really? exactly. Those suited to the style. A soprano might have a very floaty, straight voice or a, with a little more body to it, shall we say. Mm. So it's, some voices are suitable for certain things. And, and uh, one thinks of the Dream of Gerontius, which has a lovely angelic chorus going on. And that just needs a few singers to, to do that. And then going forward then, so your first audition, you've sort of been able to see a rehearsal. Well, you have to wait for your score, Yolanda. So oh, you, tell me you know, more. Yes. Tell me more. So, so after your audition, you get you get told whether or not you're in or out. Right. And then you get, get your score from Neville, you get your score sheet. So we're, when you've got a re-audition, you're always looking looking to get that and see what oh, Neville thinks wow. about you this time. Hmm. Yeah. And then once you're in the choir, we have other volunteers as well that work with the choir and, and help with the admissions. And so you'll get an email, tell you what to expect and get your folder and things like that so that's then, oh. then you're part what of the goes in the folder that's where the concert all... folder yes with, so you have to have to have one of those for all your concerts and all the rules and regs about what you need to wear in concerts and things like that of course. that's what that's what happens next <laughs> so then three years on now you, you've got nice and comfortable you, you're familiar with everything you know how things work and you're back in that sort of I guess anxious stage again where you have to to sing yeah what is that like well, that's even worse, actually. Than the first audition. No, I don't. Know. <laughs> the, the first audition's nothing, you know. That's, yes. that's, that's fine. And actually, going back to that, the audition, I think one of the reasons I actually chose, apart from the fact that LPC is fantastic, obviously, but I liked the fact that I didn't have to prepare a piece to sing for the audition. Yes. That it was a voice test because even though, like I say, I've been in choirs for my whole life. Yes. I didn't. I didn't know what to sing in a choir audition. What would I sing? What would I bring? And and actually. The audition process that Neville does, you don't need to hear someone sing a piece. So what do you sing? You sing a scale or...? It's a voice test. Yeah, I mean, the, the process is, uh, there are various elements. The first thing is to establish somebody's voice range and voice quality. So uh -huh. with a few scales, arpeggios and so forth, one can quickly do that. I mean, somebody may say, I'm a first soprano, and then you find that actually they seem to be a second alto, um, oh, or whatever it may be. You know, I mean, most people obviously know exactly where sure. their voice is. So one finds out that and sees whether, whether the quality is suitable. And then a few tests of oral perception. So some awkward phrases, as I've said earlier, we do some pretty adventurous music, which means you've got to be able to sing a semitone away from someone else at the same time. <laughs> and then we'll have some sight reading. Again, you've got to know what's going on musically so that when conductors ask for certain things, you've got to know, you've got to understand basically the nuts and bolts of music. So those are the things that are tested. I have on occasion, one or two people have come for an audition and said, look, I really want to sing this aria. Well, uh, it, it wasn't it, me. It wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I said, you know, f fine, okay. But I don't find that it um, shows people off, or I don't find it as interesting as as doing the things I've just mentioned. Wow. So, Tricks of the trade. I don't I know. It. Thank you so much for sharing mm. that. I know that would be knowledge that uh, 
lots of people to take on board. I know that the LPC have been busy, musically active, should I say, during this time with you've had workshops, online wine tastings I've heard about, which uh, sounds very, very interesting. Uh, but we did allude earlier to the pub and I have to ask about, <laughs> about the, the pub. How important is the socialising aspect of being a choir and being an outfit that works together? Because I guess that also helps you in performance mode, does it? I think that we are no different from any other choir <laughs> across the world. Um, we we do very much enjoy the social aspect. It's really lovely to see and to socialise with people from all different kinds of life, really, in London. And and you make friendships that that last a lifetime in choirs. Even you know relationships. I think there's some uh, some romantic relationships that have come out Absolutely. of uh, LPC. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Actually, after a festival hall concert that we give most of our concerts at the festival uh and the the bar there after a concert generally i come down occasionally i thought why hasn't the audience gone home? oh no oh, it's no. the entire <laughs> choir um a large number of members of the orchestra as well and very often the conductor and soloist might be there as well it's a fantastic oh. uh, atmosphere after a concert and do you think that's important as well, Paul, that, that interaction between the choir and the orchestra? Yes, of course. I mean, personally, I, I don't sort of, I wouldn't say I socialise that much with the choir, not for any particular reason. It's just that either we just go home or actually, <laughs> to be honest, we tend to go to a couple of really rough pubs. And I wouldn't <laughs> advise anybody to go to. Check out previous episodes to find out about <laughs> I those. Know, <laughs> I know, I know. So I think it was wise just staying in the, uh, the front of house bar, to be honest. But I mean, no, I mean, no, it's nice. I remember, you know, I say talking about touring again, when we performed um, the Beethoven 9 in Paris, and I think we all caught the Eurostar there and back. It was one early Sunday morning and then late Sunday evening. Yeah, and it's nice to, you know, catch up and introduce yourselves. It's lovely, you know. So Absolutely. it doesn't happen often enough, you know. Yeah. And actually, should, I don't know whether I should say this really, but in, t- in 2015, the orchestra had a trip to Mexico for about a week or 10 days, I think. And what we two programmes, one of the programmes was Marla too. And I thought, oh, it's bound to be a local choir. They wouldn't get the expense of bringing the LPC over. And then lo and behold... I do, it was the City of Birmingham Symphony Choir there. And I thought, gosh, wow, why is that? I've, I've never understood that. Yeah. I don't know whether Neville was aware of that, but... Um... <laughs> no, no, I, I wasn't aware of that at all. You I mean... Oh, sorry. No, no. Oh, my goodness. We started something off now. Oh, no. <laughs> well, they may... I mean, very often people pick up choirs if they're on tour anyway. So mm. maybe they were yeah. over there doing something else. Maybe. And then the agent will say, well, we've got this choir there over here. They're only about... Uh, 500 miles away as opposed to 5,000 miles away. (laughs) Thank you so much to you, Neville, Caroline and Paul, just to give us that insight, that background and Neville to hear how nurturing you are towards the choir and Caroline, those beautiful examples of family and coming together and just enjoying hearing those voices all together. Thank you all so much for joining me on LPO Offstage. Thank you, Yolanda. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's it for now from LPO Offstage with me, Yolanda Brown. Thanks so much to Neville Creed, Caroline Morris and Paul Richards for sharing their experiences of choral orchestral repertoire and telling us all about the London Philharmonic Choir. Please get in touch using the hashtag OffstagePod and thank you for listening. Do join me for the next episode of LPO Offstage, which will be a deep dive into the world of Beethoven symphonies. Do join me then. Do join me then.